Well, good morning, church. I am uh, thankful, Roxanne. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I know that that was emotional for you. Um, one of the things that, that, I, that I'm hoping that we come to see with this series, with Upreach and Inreach and Outreach, is a um, very simple comment, is that, that outreach is not so much a program. It's not so much a, an official church thing that we do. That, that outreach is natural, that, that the way that God intended outreach is that it flows from the love that we have for other people. And, and I'm one that believes in what Jesus said a long time ago. He said, you know, if you give a cup of cold water to somebody who has need, I, he says, I tell you truly, they will not lose their reward. And, and, and I, I remember I told you the story when I was a much younger preacher. I used to think that, you know, the goal of being a, a, a good preacher would be like, you know, Billy Graham being out there filling up the football stadiums. And you know what? That's 99.9% of us, that's never going to be our experience. But what is our experience is giving a cup of cold water to somebody who's thirsty in the name of the Lord. And, and just that, sometimes being the very seed that later on God waters. Roxanne is here, and I, I think pretty much everybody here loves you uh, and, and knows what kind of incredible person you are. But it all started because of that bus ministry. And Roxanne said, if we, if we bring that up this morning, does that mean that we're going to start a bus ministry and I have to be in charge? I said, no, I don't have to do that. So, all right. Last week, if you remember, we started the third and final part of the series um, that we've been doing called Upreach and Inreach and Outreach. And we started the, the outreach portion of the series. And, and one of the things that I, I wanted to just try, try to do with that first sermon is I wanted us to be able to recognize the truth that the Great Commission, outreach, what we call evangelism, is not just this idea of inviting somebody to church. It's not just this idea of us as a church coming out with some unique or creative way to do an outreach event to try to bring someone in. Now, I'm not knocking those things. Roxanne's a clear example of a bus ministry that planted a seed that brought someone to the Lord. But what I'm hoping that we do is I want us, again, this, this whole series is about vision casting. I want us to see the big picture. I want us to see the 40,000-foot view of what we're talking about when we talk about outreach. And what we're talking about is that it's so much bigger than that. It has to do with the kingdom of God. It has to do with God's plan going all the way back to the very beginning when he decided to, to enact this plan to undo the mess that we created, that the enemy created in Genesis chapter 3. And so the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom, the message of outreach is this incredible responsibility that you and I have been given because remember the Great Commission is for every generation. And one of the comments that I made last Sunday is that we are this generation's manifestation of the kingdom of God. And to the extent we allow God's Holy Spirit to manifest himself through us in love and humility, will be the extent to which we're able to carry out his divine mission. Amen? So uh, we said that, um, you know, hopefully by now, one of the things I hope that you're seeing is that upreach and inreach and outreach are, are completely integrated, right? You really can't have one without the other. You can't have a congregation functioning in a healthy way unless the individuals in that congregation are functioning in a healthy way. Does that make sense? We're not going to be motivated to want to show love to those who are outsiders if we're not motivated to have love inside the congregation. Does that make sense? Okay, so they're all connected. They're all interrelated to one another. Now, every single week when I prepare these sermons, I told you about a little practice I have called my 95-5 time. And, and I, just, I just go in the office. I sit there. Sometimes I will, I will pray for an hour. Sometimes I'll pray for an hour and a half. Sometimes I'm in there for two hours. Basically, what I'm trying to do every single week is I'm going before the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, what do you want to say to the Eastside family? What do, you want to, what do you want to do here? What do you want to say here? Lord, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to serve this body of people? And I'll be honest with you, this entire week, I could not write the sermon that I intended to write. Um, it was almost like writer's block, but I knew it was more divine than that. I knew that God had a separate message that he wanted me to say this morning. So um, thank you for your testimony. 
I'm going to talk about something new for a few moments, and then I'm going to come back to your story next Sunday, if that's okay. Is that your, got your permission for that? It's his story. You're exactly right. Um, God made it clear to me that he wants me to speak another message this morning. The message goes back to some things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago with inReach. And um, I didn't talk about these things because as you're doing sermon series, you know, you're trying to be conscious not only about the text and what you're interested in and what you're trying to convey, but you're also kind of trying to be conscious of the people sitting in the pews and what you're listening to. And you're thinking, well, maybe they're getting tired of hearing this or whatever. And I had already done three or four sermons on inReach about our relationships with one another. And so there were a few things that I wanted to say, but I decided, you know what, I'm not going to say them. And this entire week, the Holy Spirit was like, why did you do that? You've got to go back and talk about what I said you needed to say. So we're going to do that this morning. The question is, when you are pursuing unity as a church, if you've been sold that this is how God wants us to operate, that we're supposed to live our lives completely um, living the love of God, that we're supposed to be transformed in our individual, individual relationship with Him, if you truly believe that we as a congregation have to have a higher level of unity that's expected in the world, that we have a divine mandate to go and to call the world into the truth, but that while we're here, we have to live that truth with one another. So while we're pursuing the unity in the local church, when we're trying to work together and serve together for the common goal of, of carrying out this great commission, what do we do, practically speaking, when conflicts arise in the church? Because we know they will. We know they do. Why? Because we're human. We sin. We struggle. And just as in our own individual lives, we have mess-ups and hiccups, well, corporately together as a church, because we're all human, we're going to have mess-ups and we're going to have hiccups, right? So is there a biblical model for conflict resolution? As it turns out, there is. I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> Paul is in prison by this point. He's writing to a church that he really loves. And he loves them because out of all the churches that he's working with, this is the one church who has partnered with him in outreach. They have gone the extra mile. They have sent people to be by his side. They have sent resources. They have loved on him. They have tried to support him as much as they possibly can. And so he's writing them this letter because he's in jail. He's in prison. The, the future is not certain necessarily about what's going to happen with Paul. They're very concerned about him. And so Paul writes this letter because he just wants to say hello to his friends. He wants to tell him about what's going on and how he's doing. He, he wants to tell him about how even though he's in prison, the message of the gospel is still going out. And in fact, he even makes the point that, that even the prison guards have to listen to me. He says, even the gospel message is starting to get out among them. So he says, don't you worry whatsoever, because even in my chains, even in my imprisonment, God's work is still happening. The, the outreach is still taking place. So Paul is writing this letter for different reasons, but I want to suggest to you this morning that if you take the letter of Philippians and you read the whole thing, that there's one story, one story that seems to be the story in the text that the whole rest of Philippians is building toward. And it happens in chapter 4, almost at the very end of the book. But, but when you take this into account, when you look at chapter 4 and you realize, wow, that's the main issue that's going on in the church, and that's the main thing that Paul's getting at. All the other things that he writes in Philippians 1, Philippians 2, Philippians 3, when you realize that fact and you go back and read those three, first three chapters, it's mind-blowing because you realize that he's writing this entire book to try to help resolve the conflict that's happening in the church between two people. Two people that can't get along for different reasons. Now, the issue is very simple. Again, you've got two ladies. We don't know who they are other than what the text tells us right here. Yodia and Sentiki. Is that the correct pronunciation? I don't know, but I've been saying it for 40 years. I'm probably not going to change. No. 
uh, or 20 or 35 years, Yodia and Sintiki. We don't know what they're fighting about. The Bible doesn't tell us what they're fighting about. That's not the issue. And oftentimes when it comes to churches and people who are arguing and fighting, oftentimes we make that the issue. When the issue is not about the arguing and the fighting, the issue always is Jesus. He's the issue, right? And what do we do with the conflict in light of Jesus? So Paul hears about this conflict that's happening with these two sisters in Christ. And Paul's not dumb. He's been doing mission work now for a while. He realizes that not only do you have to deal with sin in the church, that when it's unchecked can be like a leavening that happens throughout the church. And, and, and if it's not kept in check, if, if sin is just allowed in the congregation, well, guess what? All sin's going to start being allowed in the congregation, right? So you have to deal with sin. There's a sin issue you've got to watch out for. There's, fault, there's a false teacher aspect you've got to watch out for because there are true teachings and false teachings. I would believe that if somebody came in here and started saying that you know, there is no resurrection, I would dare say probably the elders would get involved in that conversation, right? Um, but then there's also those other issues that are just kind of personal, right? There are personality differences. There's communication differences. Some of us grew up with good models of communication. Some of us grew up with really bad models of communication. I grew up with a very bad model of communication. I thought the way to communicate was be louder, <laughs> right? Just be the one to shout the loudest, believe it or not. That was me 20 years ago, 20-something years ago. So we don't know what the issue is, but the point is, he tells these ladies in Philippians chapter 4, just go ahead and turn your Bibles. I don't have any slides, okay? So again, this was a last-minute sermon. So we're going to go old school. Take your Bibles out. Okay, let's read through the text together. But in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, what I want us to see here this morning is we're going to look at the conflict that's happening between these two women. And what I want us to pay attention to is how does Paul deal with the conflict, Okay? How does Paul deal with the conflict? Let's get into it. Philippians 2, or 4, 2 through 3. He says, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So these are women... They're Christians, okay? These are women who are companions of Paul. They've served together, so they have been in ministry. And in fact, when you read the word that's used in Philippians to describe these women, there are some scholars that tend to believe that they're leaders in the church. To what capacity, I don't know. But you've got potential leaders in the congregation who have served in ministry over a length of time, and these leaders are now having a conflict with one another. They can't seem to resolve it. Paul has heard about it in prison. He loves this church so much because they have partnered with him in the message of the gospel. They have partnered with him with outreach. And Paul knows that if this conflict is not resolved, then it's going to hurt the church. And if it hurts the church then it's going to hurt the mission of Christ. So Paul hears about this conflict that is happening, and he pleads with them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now continue with me, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, for many years, when I would read these verses, I would put a, almost like a, a paragraph separation point at the end of verse 3. In other words, I used to believe for a long time that the extent that Paul wanted to address these two women was in verses 2 and 3. And then once you get to verse 4, Paul has now decided to leave that topic and go on to a separate topic that is unrelated to the issue that's happening with those two women. Well, guess what? I've, I was reading my Bible one day, and I was trying to read it more in context and read the whole thing together, and I realized Paul has not stopped addressing the situation here. 
He hasn't stopped addressing the situation between these two women. He's actually continuing to try to help with the issue. I want to illustrate this with you just a, a little bit. Listen to how Paul wants them to resolve their issues. Again, if you see the entirety of the book, chapters 1, 2, and 3, as leading up to this point where Paul wants to help deal with this conflict between these two women, the first thing that you see when it comes to conflict resolution, and if I had my slides up here, this would be point number one. So if you like to write notes, this is point number one. Point number one is, is that Paul first, before anything else, because these are Christians here, he affirms them. He affirms them. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God every time I remember you and all the, in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Chapter 2, he calls them his dear friends. Chapter 3, he calls them brothers and sisters. Chapter 4, Paul continues to show this same exact exuberant affirmation of his love for them. He says again in Philippians chapter 4, 4 verse 1, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Over and over and over again, all throughout the letter, Paul is affirming this church. He's affirming these people. He's affirming these two women. And he calls them my brothers and sisters. He says, before we go any further, before we talk about this issue that's happening in the church, let's just lay all of our cards on the table. The first thing that I need you to know is that I love you. <laughs> I love you, and, and, and I'm, I'm so thankful for you. You are my joy and my crown. And by the way, the word crown there in the text, it means a crown of victory. It's the kind of crown that you would get if you were in a competition and you won. And so what Paul is saying, in other words, he's saying, guys, listen, I want you to know something, that when I'm out doing outreach, when I'm sitting in prison talking to the jailer, when I'm, when I'm telling other people about what the gospel is and about what the church is like, I tell them about Philippi. I tell them about Philippi because that's my joy. That's my crown. That's my trophy church, if you will, right? Those are the ones that are living like the body of Christ. But, but bear in mind, when Paul says this, he's affirming who they are and his love for them, knowing he's about to address an issue that they're having in the church. So Paul is building them up. You know, one of the things I've learned over the years is that when you have two people who have conflict with one another, when sides are being drawn and, and, and people are, you know, taking alibis and trying to get other people to kind of support their opinion, their, their point of view, a lot of times people just want to be heard. That's just a little tidbit. That's just a little piece of wisdom that I've learned over the years with counseling. So much of communication is not so much of what someone says. It's how they say it. It's the heart behind what somebody says. It's the mood and the attitude behind what somebody says. I said to somebody one time that was, it was an elder. It was an elder, and uh, he was a very brash, brash elder. Um, he felt like it was his responsibility to call people on the carpet Point him out. He had very little compassion. And I tried to talk to him about it one day, and he says, I know, Tim, I'm a pinhead. And I said, well, maybe so, but I never have read pinhead as one of the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Um, so much of communication is not about what somebody says. It's about how they say it. And it's about whether or not they give their respect to somebody else to make sure that that person is heard. And so what Paul does here is he affirms his love for them. He shows them he cares. He begins dealing with the conflict, not with anger, not with frustration. He understands about sin. He understands about being human. He understands about the enemy trying to thwart things in the church. He gets all of that. He begins dealing with the conflict, not with anger, but with affirmation. He affirms his love for them, but he also reminds them of who they are in Christ. These people are not just friends and that's what's important to remember about church is that we're not just talking about people that we just get together with on a, on a Sunday morning. We're not just friends here. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And that means that every single one of us has God's Holy Spirit presence living inside of us. So from, the, from, from moment one, when we interact with one another, it is a level playing field. Level. Because we are all under the authority of Jesus Christ. So bottom line, Paul is affirming these people. These are good people. These are good Christian women. They're sisters in Christ. But before we talk about anything else, we have to remember that. We have to stand firm in that. The foundation... Listen to this. The foundation for reconciliation is the truth that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ under Jesus. That is the ground for reconciliation. The moment we start being haughty and arrogant and putting ourselves above the other person, we miss it. We miss it entirely. Okay, that's the first thing he does. He affirms them. The second thing Paul does here is he calls out individually the ones who are having the disagreement. Notice with me again in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind. You know, one of the things that we've got to keep in mind when we read this text is people didn't have their own individual Bibles back then. They went to synagogue or they went to church to hear the word of the Lord, Right? Right? Most people were illiterate. Most people heard the word of God read every day. That's why Paul tells Timothy, do not neglect the public reading of Scripture because every single week they would, get, they would all congregate together just like us and you would have somebody behind the, the pulpit and they would read lengthy amounts of Scripture to the congregation. Well, guess what would happen? Paul writes Philippians to this church. Guess what they did? They got up and they read the letter to the congregation. So... So this church read this letter and these ladies both heard their names and their disagreement being publicly put out before the whole congregation. Now I want you to notice that Paul uses the word plead here twice. He says, I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche. In other words, he's, be, he's being very intentional about addressing the situation directly and addressing the situation head on. He's calling them out, as we would say today. He's not sweeping the problem under the rug. He's not ignoring the fact that it's there. He's not going to try to just imagine that it never happened. Paul addresses the issue publicly and he names the two people that are having the issue. So I want you to imagine, here you are. I want you to imagine your name is Yodia. And you know you're sitting in church and all you can think about is so-and-so over here that you can't get along with. And all of a sudden you hear your name mentioned from the pulpit and the issue that you're dealing with. And that's when you kind of try to find a way to get under the pew. Right? Try to shrink away a little bit. So here you are. I want you to imagine. Let's just set up the scenario. Let's pretend this is Philippi. Nobody wants to volunteer to be Yodi and Syntyche, do they? Okay, y'all are out there somewhere. Y'all two ladies are out there somewhere. And then the guy gets up and he's starting to read this letter by Paul and he, he gets to chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or just hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And, and Yodia and Syntyche, they're sitting back there going, Amen! <laughs> Preach it, brother! Right? And then he gets to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if there's any comfort from His love, if, if, if there's any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion... Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one spirit and one mind. And Yodi is back there going, that's right, amen, one mind. Boy, Paul, he's good, ain't he? And that wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And then he gets to Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And both of the women at that point said, good point, good point. And then they get hit by the proverbial ton of bricks. The man standing up at the church gets to these words, Philippians 4.2. And I plead with Yodia. And I plead with Syntyche. Be of the same mind in the Lord. 
get chills when you hear it that way, don't you? I don't know about you, but if, if I had just heard my name publicly mentioned and the conflict that I was having with somebody else in the church, especially if I wasn't trying to work on it or care or do something about it, well, then I'd feel a little bit ashamed. And, and bear in mind, this letter would have been read more than one time, wouldn't it? Because this letter eventually became known to the people as Holy Scripture. So they read it weekly. <laughs> so imagine thinking, why did we have this disagreement? Because now we're going to be talked about forever. <laughs> Our names are going to be brought up in churches forever. <laughs> right? But it's true. And these letters started circulating. And so everybody started to know about Yoria and Syntyche and the things that were going on between the two of those ladies. Now, this doesn't happen all that much today, but... I don't know. I mean, should we do that? See, this is where it starts getting uncomfortable. I've served in churches for 20 years. Every single church has always swept things under the rug. Because no one likes conflict. No one likes to believe that there's struggles and issues in a church. And sometimes it's a lot easier to just ignore it and carry on and me be okay with my circle of friends at my congregation and let them be okay with their circle of friends at their congregation and then just kind of keep this pretense that we're all united when in reality we're actually not. you imagine what it would be like if there were two people in this room right now who had a conflict, who had an issue, and maybe they weren't willing to work on it. They weren't willing to sweep their side of the street. And they were more content with building up a picture and an image of that person and letting that be okay. And harboring feelings and emotions against that person and letting that be okay. Do you imagine what it would be like if, if I got up here and I just called you out and just said, you and you, we've got to deal with this. That would probably elicit different emotions if I did that. If you are not in the spirit, it will harbor anger. How dare you? But may I recommend that if you're walking in the spirit then that should bring an amount of shame to you because now it becomes real and now you realize that I'm sinning by not seeking reconciliation with that person. And I need to do what's uncomfortable to at least make an attempt to be united with that person. Well, again... I don't know what would happen if we did that. I'm not recommending we do that yet. yet. But I hope that we take it seriously. Because listen to this. Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 through 24 says this. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then go and offer your gift. I think it's really clear. God says, look, I don't care about church as long as you are having issues with your brother. I would much rather you miss Sunday service and go reconcile with your brother than come here and give me your worship. Let me give you one that's even a little bit more dire or darker than that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know what Paul says? Paul says, discern the body. That does not mean close my eyes and think about the death of Christ when I take the Lord's Supper. Discern the body in that context means take into account the people around you you're taking the Lord's Supper with. And Paul says, if you've got issues with a brother or sister in the church, don't you dare take the Lord's Supper. 
And see, if you don't believe in the work of the Holy Spirit today, then these next few verses ain't going to make a lick of sense to you. But he says, don't you dare take the Lord's Supper. You know why? Because if you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, because what is the Lord's Supper supposed to be signifying? It's supposed to be signifying that we are all sitting at the table together. That what unites us is the blood of Christ. It's the body of Christ. And not a single one of us deserves a chair at this table. So when I sit at it, and I take this meal, I am saying God's presence is here. And I am declaring that I am under Him and I am one with the people who sit here with me. But if I lie against that, I'm lying against the Holy Spirit. And you know what Paul says? This is crazy. Nobody preaches this today. Paul says if you eat and drink unworthily and treat your brother and sister like crud and fight and argue and bicker and follow this person and that person, he says you're eating and drinking judgment. He says some of you are weak. Some of you are even dying because of that. That's strange, isn't it? Very strange teachings, but true. This is serious stuff, guys. So I don't know. Calling things out might help. Okay, listen. I'm not going to do that. My prayer is that all of us would get to a place in our hearts where we would want to try to reconcile with somebody. So here's the third thing. In dealing with disagreements, according to Paul, number one, we need to affirm our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are who we are. We make mistakes, but if we're in Christ, we're in Christ, and we start there. We build on that, that foundation. Number two, we need to make sure that, uh, that we name the people, we name the situation, we don't sweep it under the rug. Number three, we rejoice in Jesus. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. You say, Tim, how in the world can you rejoice when you've got a conflict? Well, let me tell you how. Because, oh my goodness, God has given you the grace to be able to use your Christianity to see if it really works. Isn't that amazing? Because he's allowed you to have an opportunity now to exercise patience, to see if it's grown in your life. He's allowed you to, to, to be able to use that, that fruit of the Spirit, that kindness and that gentleness that He's been growing in your life, that forgiveness He's been growing in your life, that self-control for your tongue that He's been growing in your life. How would you ever know that you're growing in the Lord if God did not allow opportunities for you to see whether or not you've grown? Whew, that's a different way to think about it, ain't it? So you've got a conflict. So what? Guess what? We're Christians. We handle things differently than the world does. This is an opportunity to rejoice. So what Paul is saying is, guys, don't let your differences define you. Let your unity in Jesus define you. When you've got issues between two people, start right there. Start with the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Start with the fact that Jesus is right here with us. Start with the fact that we're going to glorify Him no matter what happens when we come out of this room. We can glorify Jesus because regardless of what the issue is, there's still a King of Kings. There's still a Lord of Lords. He's still coming back to reign and rule. And it's okay because in the end, every time tear is going to be wiped away and it's going to be fine. And whatever this issue was, it's going to look like nothing in comparison. So we can rejoice because we can handle it differently. Number four. Now watch what Paul does next. After he writes about rejoicing in the Lord, which refocuses our priorities and our desires, he moves on to the resolution of the problem. Paul offers the resolution in verse five. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul says simply, when it comes to resolving this issue, be gentle with each other. Don't be brash and harsh. Don't yell. I think what's the scripture say? Don't, it says be angry. It's okay to be angry. That's not the problem, but, but be angry. Don't sin. And don't let the, the sun go down on your anger. In other words, be very quick to deal with disagreements as they happen. Don't let them fester and build and grow and, and, and don't have resentments that grow 15, 20, 30, 40 years. 
It's a poison to the soul. Realize that you've got feelings. Realize that they've got feelings. And most importantly, realize that both of you are brothers and sisters in the Lord and the Lord is near. The Lord is near. What if, let's, let me phrase it this way. Uh, I picked on the Whitefields today. I've got to find somebody else to pick on. Who am I going to pick on? I don't know. I need a, somebody I can pick on. Huh? Uh, some more Whitefield picking? Okay. We'll, we'll pick on, that's right. We'll pick on the Whitefields. Let's say the, the Whitefields were arguing over, um, uh, I, don't, I really don't know, um, Elisa's Star Wars collection or something. I don't know. Like, like Elisa has just, like, it's become a problem. It's like an episode of Hoarders. Like, there's a guy, you know, Andy's like, look, I checked the bank account. It's going out like this. What, you know, and it's like causing all this big problem, whatever. And then, and then you've got some people in the church that love Star Wars. And then you've got other people in the church that hate Star Wars. And then all of a sudden, now we start to see these factions, you know. And then, and then you've got, you know, Mandalorian Knight over here at the Whitefield's house. And you, okay, whatever. I'm being silly. I'm being silly. Okay. But, but let's imagine that it was a real issue, a real problem. And then all of a sudden, things just spiraled completely out of control with the war in Russia and Ukraine. And let's, let's just imagine, because it's not outside the possibility of reality, that that thing becomes like an Archduke Ferdinand moment and another world war begins. And so far, we've never experienced war on these shores since the days of the Civil War, if I know my history correctly. But my point is, is that if, if world war was about to break out, that problem would look a little different, wouldn't it? I mean, if you knew that you were about to be a refugee or have to move or have to go fight or have to go, if you were being conscripted to go and join the fight in Europe or whatever it may be, like the problem just, it has a way of putting it in more perspective. Elisa, do you get that? You're going to be able to work through this? Okay. Did you notice when he's talking to the two women and he's, he's approaching this in all these different ways to try to resolve the situation, that, that little phrase that he said, he says, guys, one thing to remember, the Lord's near. The Lord's near. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean the second coming of Christ. It also means the presence right here. So don't you believe that if I'm sitting down to try to reconcile with somebody else and that person is also a Christian and that person also has the Holy Spirit, don't you believe that God at that moment through the Spirit is also working in the hearts of both people trying to bring them back together? Whew, let me tell you something. If you're not working toward uh, resolution, it ain't the Holy Spirit, it's you. If it ain't working. It's not the Holy Spirit, it's you. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm trying to guilt you, but that's saying that that's God's goal is for you to be united. So if you're not, it's because of issues that are going on in here, whether one person or the other or both. Okay, so be gentle. Remember Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is at work in you to give you the will and the ability to act according to his good purpose. What is his good purpose in the church? It's for people to get along and love each other. So God is at work doing this. So remember, God is working to bring unity. So be gentle. Be careful with how you treat other people because people are watching. People are watching. And, and every church I've ever been in, there's always a rumor mill. There's always the grapevine. You wouldn't believe all the stuff I've heard about you since I've been here. Whoo! This is an amazing church. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing, Marsha. I really am. She looks very concerned. Very, very concerned. Um, we have to be careful about the witness that we have in front of other people. Because we're going to be going to outreach next week. And that's my favorite one. That's the one where I get excited. That's the one where you'll see Tim Brown up here starting to act like a Pentecostal preacher. Because I love outreach, man. I love talking to people. I love, I love talking to people whose mind has been in darkness their whole life. And then speaking the Word of God to them. Or letting them read the Word of God. And just watching those lights come on, man. Starting to see that passion grow in their hearts. And they start, they start repenting and coming to the Lord. Like that, those initial moments are so incredible. But let me tell you something. Why in the world would we ever have the motivation to want to invite someone here if we have a lot of infighting going on? 
Why would you want to do that? I got to a point where I was, was at one congregation that even I, as the preacher, did not want to invite people to church. I'm not joking. Because it was so toxic on the inside. People were fighting so much that if you invited somebody new, it would probably take two Sundays before you started hearing gossip about this, that, and the other. Why? Because everybody was trying to find an ally, alibi to get one more person on their side. That makes me angry. Because you know what it does? It takes a shotgun and it points it right down at our foot and it just takes a shot at the mission that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Suffering people in this world matter more than me being right. They matter more than my feelings. So maybe we need to do something different. And then finally, number six. Number five, excuse me, I skipped a little bit here. Let me share something I think is incredible. I'm sorry, I got missed out of place there. The word for gentleness in that verse is epikeia. And here's how one commentator illustrates this word. When it talks about being gentle with somebody, here you are, you've got a conflict, you're sitting at the table. Paul says, be gentle. Here's what he means by that word. Here's what the commentator said. He said, let us take a simple example, which every teacher encounters almost every single day. Here are two students. We correct their exam papers. We apply justice to one, and we find that one has 80%, and the other has 50%. But we go a little further and we find that the one who got 80% has been able to work in ideal conditions with books and leisure and peace to study, while the one who got 50% struggles to cope financially. He's got inadequate equipment. He's been sick. He's recently come through time of sorrow and strain. And so in justice, this student deserves, or this student deserves 50% and no more, right? In justice. But Epikeia will value the exam paper far higher than that, taking all factors into consideration. Let me use it a different way. It's not about just the letter of the law. It's also the spirit of the law. When you're talking to people and you have conflicts, oftentimes because we want to be right so much, we will defer to the letter. You did this. It's wrong. I'm mad. The biblical way to be gentle is to take into account everything. Take into account them, their life, their background, what they've gone through, what they're going through, what they're about to go through. It takes into account the whole picture. That's exactly how God was able to help my wife and I's marriage a long time ago. Because we, we used to argue a lot 20 years ago. We would fight about things all the time. But the problem was is that we didn't know how to communicate I told you I thought that my way to communicate was yell louder, so imagine that, okay? But also, too, it's because we didn't, we didn't look into the heart of the situation. We were only looking at the words. We were only looking at the actions, but we weren't looking at what was underneath. And that's what epikeia means. When you have gentleness, when you're trying to work out a problem, take all factors into account. You see grace there, don't you? See, that's grace this is an example of what Paul was trying to say back in Philippians chapter 2 when he was talking about the kind of humility that we are to have with each other. Listen to this, Philippians 2. Turn back there if you want to, verses 3 through 7. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Paul says when it comes to having disagreements with people, have the humility of Jesus. You want to know why I've learned that's important? It's because when you have humility, that's where you can find compromise, isn't it? 
if both people come to the table humble and you, and, and you have the, the humility of Christ, then that means that you're allowing in the conflict some wiggle room so that you can both retreat from your hard positions just enough so that you can find unity again. Does that make sense? Okay, so have the humility of Jesus. Now listen, I'm not big on acronyms. I don't use them often, but I love this one. Joy. You know what it stands for? Jesus, others, and yourself. I have learned over the years that if you can learn to maintain that set of priorities, my goodness, it changes everything. And then finally, number five, we're going to close here. When you have addressed the issue openly, you've been reasonable, you've been humble, you've reached a compromise, it's now time to bring the whole thing back to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Okay? Read it with me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then look at number 6. We're going to close here this morning. Paul says, when all this has been done, when compromise and reconciliation and thanksgiving has been made, Paul says in Philippians 4, 7 through 9, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put into practice. And he says it again, what? And the God of peace will be with you. When I preached my first sermon two weeks ago about division and unity, I was approached by a few people. Um, and I was made aware of a few people who are going through disagreements. And naturally, when you have conflict, it brings pain and um, um, trust gets broken, right? Feelings get hurt. You start to feel that anxiousness that he talks about here that he's trying to address with his peace. And this week when I was really struggling to write that lesson on outreach, I finally realized why. Because he knew that those things were going on right here. And I'm not... I'm not trying to sound dire. The church is healthy, in my opinion. It's not in danger of splitting in half or anything like that. But there are a few people who are struggling with differences and struggling with knowing how to reconcile and struggling with knowing how to move forward. So as we close, I just want to say to those people whom I know are going to be working this week toward reconciliation. I want you to incur, I want to encourage you to remember the wisdom of Paul. Okay. As you go into those meetings, as you sit in those rooms, I want you to remember the wisdom of Paul when he tried to help these two women who were struggling with their relationship with each other. Remember to affirm each other in Jesus first. Okay, you're not enemies. Your believers in Jesus. Name the problems and go ahead and call them out. And when I've done marital counseling with, with, with couples, you know how a lot of times when couples fight, it's almost like they bring that, that bag of the past and they just dump it out? Sometimes you've got to go ahead and do that too and just get it out and just, and just go through the things that are causing the issues in the heart. So name the problems. Call them out. Thirdly, rejoice in Jesus because you're a Christian. You know that what the enemy intends for evil, God is going to do for good. Be gentle. When you sit down this week to work on reconciliation with these people, be gentle, be humble, and be reasonable in your approach. Take everything into account, okay? Remember that other people are watching you. There's other people in the church that are watching you. They're watching how you react. They're watching what you say. They're watching how you handle this situation because they want to know, is this a real church? Is this a genuine church? Is God really here? And can God actually heal this? Or will it be just like every other experience I've ever had? People fight. 
Somebody gets mad, leaves, go to the church down the street. Or if it gets really bad, church closes. I've seen that happen many, many times. Once you've found a compromise, pray, give thanks to God. Honor God with the situation. In the end, let God be glorified because he's the one that brought the reconciliation, nobody else. And then number six, finally, move forward in peace. Well, that's the sermon that I had for today. Well, it wasn't what I had for today, but that's the sermon that I believe that God wants me to leave with you all this morning. Okay? Um, I fully believe that the ones that are struggling can heal, that, they, that there can be unity. But there's some things that have to be remembered first. I'm passionate about it because... I believe that we're going to have a revival of sorts. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I do believe that me personally, I want to position myself for what God's going to do here. I want to be involved in outreach. I want to carry the mission of the gospel. But I have done enough ministry to know that if there's a lot of fighting going in that church, the church will never grow. It won't. So it has to be dealt with. And I, and I, and, and I felt like this sermon had to be preached before we go to outreach next week, okay? Um, now, let me tell you a little thing about me. I do not take sides. I don't take sides. Um, I used to, and that really killed me in ministry for a long time. I don't take sides. So I'm going to go ahead and lay it out here right now. If, if there's ever an issue and you come to me and, and you're wanting to... Um, put down the other person or just just call out the things that they've done. Here's what you're going to hear me say. I will listen to you if that's what you need. But I cannot help you until you're willing to sit down with me and the other person in my office and we work through this. Because otherwise you're just venting. Otherwise you're just spreading gossip. Otherwise you're just being angry. If you're not willing to sit down with a third party, a peacemaker, as Jesus says in Matthew 5 and work it out, then your heart is not in the right place. And that may mean that you need to wait a little while until your heart is in the right place. I don't recommend that you try to even do reconciliation until your heart is in the right place. And you'll know that your heart is in the right place when you have humility. When you have humility, then you know it's okay to proceed. Okay? All right. Well, I feel like I'm just yapping at this point. I, I have love and concern for those who are struggling in this church. I want you to be reconciled, and I believe it can happen through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this body. Thank you for these people. And God, I affirm them. Lord, they, they love you. We love you, Lord. But we also know that we make so many mistakes, and, and sometimes we... We have issues with other people. We don't know why they think or say or do the things that they do. And because of our past and our triggers and our fears and our reservations, we get turned upside down in a certain way. And before you know it, Lord, it's like the flesh just finds that foothold. And it just causes problems. But God, collectively this morning as a church, we want to be like Peter and step outside the boat. We want to step outside what's normal. We want to step outside of what the crowd typically does. And we want to find what's on the other side when we learn to walk on the water. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need to respond to the invitation, then I would ask you to go ahead and make that opportunity yours right now. As together.